It was a case that made headlines around the world. A young white woman jogging through Central Park, New York, was raped and left for dead. Five black and brown teens were forced into falsely confessing to the crime and imprisoned for a rape they had nothing to do with. Today, they are known as the Exonerated Five after their innocence was proved in 2002. Their story is told in the Emmy Award-winning series, When They See Us. Joining us today is Dr. Yusuf Salam, a man who stands as a proud black Muslim leader. But in that prison, I felt the protection of Allah. I felt Allah telling the prison to be cool and safe. And it was because I kept making those du'as. It was because I kept trying to remember you have to follow the Surat al-Mustaqeen. But before we begin the conversation, don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell for notifications. Dr. Yusuf Salam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's an absolute honor to have you joining us today. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's definitely a pleasure to be here with you on your show. MashaAllah. How are you feeling right now, Dr. Yusuf? How's your life right now, inshaAllah? I say to everybody, Allah is merciful. You know, life has been really, really um, great, especially when you put it into perspective. You know, there's going to be ups and downs. And once you know that there's going to be ups and downs, I take the advice of, uh, I remember hearing Oprah Winfrey once say that if she could tell her younger self anything, she would tell her younger self to strap in and enjoy the ride. So, mm -hmm. you know, life is a roller coaster and we want all of life to be great. But sometimes life has its challenges, as everyone may know who's seen when they see us and have, has read my memoir, Better Not Bitter, and also my other book, Punching the Air. You know, but the great thing about it is rising to the challenge, knowing that life is shaping you and making you into the diamond that you need to be. Allah. What a powerful opening. Beautiful. Powerful. Dr. Yusuf, I would have to say one of the, uh, something crazy about your story, subhanAllah, is as Muslims, we were always taught the story of Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam. Subhanallah, a prophet of Allah who was tried and tested, who was falsely accused. And then at the end, we know he was acquitted and he was exonerated at the end. And subhanallah, we know that this is the story of Prophet Yusuf. And today I'm joined by Dr. Yusuf. Subhanallah, <laughs> the same name and a very similar trial. With very, we can draw parallels from the stories of, of, of the two, subhanAllah. Definitely. So, Absolutely. did you draw inspiration, I guess, or strength from the story of Prophet Yusuf salam, during that trial of yours? Always. You know, knowing, knowing that, you know, even through the birthing process, you know, children born in traditional Islam, they have the opportunity to be named seven days after the baby is born. Mm -hmm. And the parents have to observe the child and try to figure out, you know, who is this? Who, who has God blessed to come to the world for us to be its caretakers? And, you know, when I think about m the name that my parents gave me, not only did they give me the name Yusuf, they also gave me the name, the middle name Idris, and then the oh, name Fa'adl, oh. and then of course, Abdus Salam. And so all of it really is such a beautiful thing, especially in light of the fact that, you know, here it is at such a young age, I was arrested for a crime that I didn't commit. And that crime happened to be rape. And Prophet Yusuf, السلام, as Muslims know, was put in prison for a crime that he didn't commit. And that crime was the false accusation of rape, you know, and in some traditions, they say he spent about seven years in prison. And I spent six years and eight months in prison. 
You know, so the parallels that I drew from going through that experience was more of me growing through it. You know, growing in, growing up in a Muslim family, um, a lot of things are theory. You don't really get the opportunity to understand yet that you have to apply it. And the application of your faith can be very, um, it can nourish you. It can uplift you. It can empower you. Mm-hmm. And I found so much strength in that. I still find strength in, in realizing that, you know, it's not um, a faith where people just say, okay, I'm going to apply it on one day of the week. But we get the opportunity to really look at everything through the lens of Islam, to apply it to our lives and really figure out how to use that light, that nur that Allah talks about um, to guide us. I think on that comparison, I would just like to open up to our viewers. Um, this, is, this, uh, this is a quote that you've uh, stated before. And you said, the Central Park Jogger case is actually a love story between God and his people. It is a story of, crim- of, the crim- of a criminal system of injustice that's on trial and turned on its side to produce a miracle in modern times. It's a story of a people who were buried alive and forgotten. The system forgot we were seeds and we emerged like the phoenix from the ashes. And even on that comparison to what you and Brother Kamal were saying, I think because you also talk a lot about reformative practice as well. And I think you have become into this heightened state um, of yourself where you're able to give back. But I think when God wants to raise an individual or a people, um, you know, he delivers them into the hands of his enemies. If, if we talk about Prophet uh, Moses, salam, you know, he was a baby, a small, he was in a small and fragile vessel heading into one of the most powerful rivers of all time into the enemies of, of enemies, the biggest tyrant. But I guess it's that, that reliance that you have um, on God, that he delivered you from bondage and then protected you from you know, even uh, even more wickedness from the people that were out there as well. So I thought I would just draw that comparison. MashaAllah. Dr. Yusuf, prior to the, the case t- taking place in New York City, where you were raised, what was life like for you as a young 14-year-old or 13-year-old before all this happened? What were your aspirations? What were your, I guess, your goals in life prior to this ever happening? You know, it's interesting when I think about that, because, you know, as a 15 year old, the greatest goal or aspiration that one has is perhaps today they may just want to figure out how to, you know, play video games. Maybe they'll they'll go online and chat or surf the Internet, um, figure out some new TikToks and some new challenges <laughs> that are out there in the world. You know, I know that they have this uh, this crate challenge that a lot of people have been um, participating in. Yeah, you know, the crate challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my greatest aspiration and 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 perhaps my greatest dream was to figure out how to nail that ollie. You know, I was I was into skateboarding. I love mm. skateboarding. I was the guy who knew how to do all the tricks and was figuring out them as I was living my life. Um, I love to do things like you know climb trees in Central Park. Right. Um, I had learned martial arts at a young age, and so going to Central Park and practicing. You know, back then. Uh, the Channel Five Kung Fu movies were all the rage in in the in the states, and every time someone saw it, you know, we would go outside and we would reenact everything that we saw. You know, Sonny Chiba, I believe, uh, just just passed away the other day, um, and I'm not sure if he was Muslim, but I, I know that he played in some um, films, and one of the films he played in, he was he was the, called the Messenger of Allah, specifically the Messenger of Allah. So, if he if he was Muslim. You know, in the Lahi wa inna ilayhi rajiyun, may Allah grant him paradise. You know, but 
for me, it was just the 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 youthfulness of it all, right? I think about that often because going to prison and having your life taken from you, having your reality taken from you, or what your you innocence. thought reality was, your mm-hmm. innocence, right? And realizing that this is the same experience that black and brown bodies have had through the transatlantic slave trade, right? They were kidnapped from their families and they were sold into chattel slavery. And in America, you have this thing called the 13th Amendment, which allows slavery to continue by another name. And I think about all of that because for me, my life was taken. I used to think that I had to fill this void, this hole that was gone. But what I realized that I would never be able to fill that void. I have to live life full so that I can die empty. I have to live life and realize that this opportunity that is given to all of us is the same opportunity everyone has, but it's the challenges that you go through that causes you to curse God or causes you to say, thank you, God, for blessing me to be able to see right? Because we all have eyes, but not everybody is able to see. Wow. We all have ears and not everybody is able to hear or speak or feel, right? Wow. And so I had the opportunity at a very young age, you know, they say, they say um, life is wasted on the youth because it's young people who are full of life, but they give their life over to frivolous things. And it's not until you become older that you begin to turn back to the way of life that God wants you to be in. Whereas for me, I had to, I had to turn to God. I had to turn to Allah at a very young age. I had to remember, you know, duas, you know, Hasbunallahu wa nihmal Allahu akbar. I had to, I had to remember these things, and I had to know also that these moments, in a very beautiful way, which is what the brother said, right? The Central Park Jaga case is actually a love story between God and his people. It's these moments when you look at them in the truest perspective that you realize that you've been granted an opportunity to thank God, right? You're, you're, you're under oppression. You're under the foot of oppression. And the only one that can save you is God. I could, I could call out for my mother. She's not in the prison. I can call out for my father. I hadn't seen him. Since I was four years old, you know, may Allah bless him. He's passed away as well. But to realize that you are in a situation where, as you think about, you alone do we worship and your aid alone do we seek. You have to only, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. I look at all of that and I'm thankful that you know, for me, I can look at life through the lens of Islam and find beauty where other people may not see it. Definitely. I think even with the systems that are in place now, I mean, we're talking about America, you know, one in every five black American males are expected to go to preserve a prison sentence in their lifetime. Um, we're talking about a place that's what? Um, holds the largest rate of incarceration, largest incarceration rate as well in the world, I believe, leading. Um, and so it's a beautiful thing to hear that you've, you know, just stuck to all that. You've just stuck to your prayers. Um, because now, as we've seen that, it's basically, as you said, slavery does exist, but it has it has a new name. And it, prisons have become this industrial complex kind of thing as well. That's crazy. 
Dr. Yusuf, there was a scene in When They See Us, and I wanted to take you back to that scene. Your mother comes to visit you in the prison, and it was, it was an extended scene, and it was something like I could perhaps, I can't relate to because I've never been in such a situation, but I can understand. Your mother comes, visits you, and she says, you need to hang around with the Muslims now. SubhanAllah. You've been studying. I can tell. You staying close to the brothers? Like you told me. I like them. They treat me good. We talk. Do you recall that scene? How accurate is that scene? And if, yeah? Everything in When They See Us is exactly as it happened. SubhanAllah. What's beautiful about it is that we didn't know, you know, those, the five of us had no idea that our lives were, th that our lives went the way they went in the prisons. We all thought we had the same experience, right? And so some of the challenges that we see um, that I may not have had, but that Corey had is very, very, very pronounced, right? The, the, the juxtaposition, it was almost as if, you know, I'm, I'm praying to Allah similar to um, Ibrahim alayhi salam, uh, because they throw me in the fire. Right? And I say, oh Allah, <laughs> help me. And Allah tells the fire, be cool and safe. Right? And then you look at Corey's life, complete opposite. He's being horrifically. He was sent to Rikers, as, uh, am I correct? 11 years. Sent to Rikers Island. Like, I mean, he was only a few months older than I. Right? And, and, and they charged him not only as an adult, but sent him to adult prison. You know, and I would always hear him say things like, you know, you guys went to a, a um, like you guys went to a camp. Wow. And I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get the chance to fully understand that until I saw when they see us. And we saw it in the room together as brothers. And we were able to grow through that experience as well. It was an experience that we needed because, you know, for all intents and purposes, we threw that behind our backs. Like, you can't be traumatized and keep that trauma in front of you every day because you won't be able to live. You have to somehow figure out how do I get through the trauma and just keep on moving forward, you know? And so even in that, that moment when my mother is encouraging me, she's encouraging me and I'm using that word in, in, on purpose. She's encouraging me to stay around the Muslims. Mm. She's encouraging me. I remember this dua, right? That my mother told me in prison. Um, she would say, um, she would say, I invoke the perfect words of Allah to protect us against the evil that may come from sky or earth, against the tests of night and day. In the name of Allah, gracious and merciful. SubhanAllah. And I would, I would always say, wow, what does that mean, right? Because I heard the word kalima in it. And everyone who's Muslim knows the kalima shahada. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that dua, it's the most powerful thing to say. And, and the reason why you say it, right? I remember reading a hadith about it. And it said that if you make this dua, if you come into a land and you make this dua, you have the protection of Allah and the angels around you. But if you happen to die, then you're granted paradise. There's so many moments where, you're, where you can be given the opportunity to have your whole slate wiped clean 
and be granted paradise just for something that you said, right? And I truly believe that it was because of that, if we can imagine in the era of COVID, people can't see COVID, but we can see the wind blowing, manifested by the trees moving, right? We can't see it. We can't, you know, like, but in that prison, I felt the protection of Allah. I felt Allah telling the prison to be cool and safe. And it was because I kept making those duas. It was, it was because I kept trying to remember, you have to follow the Surat al-Mustaqeen, that same path that the Prophet, peace be upon him, drew in the desert with his Sahabas. And then he drew scribble-scrabble all over it. So you couldn't see the Surat. So the fact that we say in our prayers every day, show us the straight path through every way. Show us the way forward in any situation. What is that path? The path that you have blessed, the path of those that have you, you have blessed and not the path of those who your anger is upon, nor of those who have gone astray. And I'm saying it like this because of course, you know, we say it in Arabic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the beautiful thing about the listening audience is that they may not all be Muslim. And sometimes there's confusion, and especially right now in the world. You hear about things going on in Afghanistan and other parts of the world. Mm. And there's a lot of strife. There's a lot of fear because people are understanding it through the, the eyes of CNN, you know, the mouth of CNN. And we have to understand that, you know, when somebody says, God is the greatest, that's the same thing that they said in Arabic when they say Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. But they translate that to death to America, unfortunately, today. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, it's me, crazy. Yeah. You know, it's it's actually funny you just touched on the media because I wanted to um, actually ask you about the role of the media in your trial. Me personally, I might have a, a, a bias, but I personally believe the media is what potentially steered the police to give you that conviction that you are guilty. They needed the poster boy mm. on the front cover and what looked better than five young black men, you know, five young black teenagers. Yeah. So what role do you believe the media has to play in, the media in, in your plays, case? And in, 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 in many cases, perhaps in every case, right? When you think about the Central Park Jagger case, you're not seeing a case that just happened. This didn't, this didn't like just fall in people's laps and they said, okay, this is how we're going to adjudicate it, right? This case is one of the many cases in the can of worms of cases just like it. It's just the, one of the more famous cases. Mm -hmm. And so we look at it from the microcosm of the macrocosm of cases just like it. What we realize is that we've been built and led to believe that when you see a person of color, they are a crime. We didn't choose the skin that we're in, right? When we think about skin color, in Islam, we think about sibgatullah. We take our coloring from Allah. That's everyone, right? Everybody takes the, the kaleidoscope of the human family. And so the idea that you can place a seed in a person's mind and heart to believe that that person is a crime. That person is capable of committing more crime. You have to be uh, afraid around this type of individual. And then you meet them and you talk to them. Allah says, we created you in many nations, many different nations and tribes, not that you may despise one another, but that you may come to know one another. 
And we realize that it's in our communion with each other that we find the similarities. We find that we have so many things that are the same, but we've been told that there's something different about you. The only difference is that you're on a different part of the world. That's, That's it. Common. You know? That takes that reminds me. But the me media of that. plays a bigger role. And, and and I just want to just say this real mm-hmm. quick. There's a book out there if folks want to get the opportunity to really uh 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 dive into and investigate more. There's a book out there called Savage Portrayals by Natalie Byfield. It's one of the most powerful books and it's about the Central Park Jogger case. She pulls the headlines from the media and creates a book and shows people how they turned people into beasts through the language that was being used. How Donald Trump, who's on this, he, he, he was Donald calling Trump, for your death penalty. Yeah. Yes, he was. He was calling for the state to reinstate the death penalty specifically for our case. Mm. So imagine if that would have worked. I call the Central Park Jogger case a love story between God and His people because thirteen years thing. later, the most unlucky number in America, most buildings that are tall in America don't have a thirteenth floor. If they have floors that are above that, it's twelve, maybe twelve and a half. It's 12 and then 14. They yeah, don't have a 13th floor because 13 is considered an unlucky number. And look at that. That number, the, the, the time that went by, 13 years passed, and then the truth came out 13 years after we were accused of this crime. Um, so obviously walking around with that, you know, people knowing that people see you as this, uh, this rapist, essentially, a crime that you did not commit. But how did it feel once you were exonerated? And say Yusuf Salam has been exonerated. So we were exonerated. We were exonerated 13 years after we were accused of the crime. We didn't receive any true justice aside from us having our names back until 12 years after that. We fought tooth and nail. We fought. My mother, when she described the the difference between them thinking that we were guilty and them finding out that we were innocent, she said when they thought we were guilty, it was a tsunami of media. We, you know, when you think about the, the introduction of this case, over 400 articles were written within the first few weeks of this case, tearing apart our lives. Wow. When they found out that we were innocent, my mother said it was a whisper. She wondered if the rats in New York City had even heard. And so to be able to fully appreciate our innocence didn't happen until years later. And it's actually still happening, right? It's still happening even to this day. Because every single day we wake up and we realize that we're free. But we also realize that we went through this trauma. Now we have to figure out how to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And prayer helps, right? Being faithful helps. Being a person of of faith and of God gives you that light that you need to be able to find your way in the darkness, right? And it's one of those things that, you know, we knew that we had to keep our heads up. But the saving grace that we experienced was that we had each other, meaning the five of the brothers. We could... We could take our individual fingers and go like this and become stronger. Individuals who are not blessed in that way, who have to who have to stand on their own, 
they often don't get that opportunity to lean on other people. And we got the opportunity to lean on each other. And so the system realizing that we were innocent was a beautiful thing. But it's one of those things where it's like, man, we, we knew we were innocent. Our families knew we were innocent, you know? But we still had to go through this awful experience. And we should have never gone through it, which is one of the reasons why we stand up to injustice. We talk about, you know, issues that matter when it comes to the criminal justice system because it needs to be fair. There should never be a case where people have lost their lives in prison and years later they find out they hadn't done this. I work on the I work with the Innocence Project and I sit on the board of the Innocence Project. And I get reports every every so often about the individuals that are coming home through DNA. And I never forget the one case that really sat with me was a young man who went to prison and he came out 40 years later. Oh my God. That's a whole lifetime. He came out not because they said that there was a technicality. He came out because DNA evidence proved that he had not done the crime. Well, That's important. So we have to look at all of those things and weigh it when it comes to the criminal justice system. We can't just say we want to solve a crime. And so therefore we're going to, we're going to uh, appease the fears of the public by putting anyone in prison. Anybody will do. Well, in our case, that meant that the real criminal was out there committing more crime until he finally got caught. That's crazy. That's crazy. So Dr. Yusuf, coming out of the prison system, uh, you are now a motivational speaker. And from your story, I have to draw parallels to Nelson Mandela, who I understand is one of your mentors as well. And I think what a lesson that prison and, and being incarcerated has taught both of you is not to be vengeful, um, but out, instead to come up with mercy. And similar to Nelson Mandela, he became a healer, connecting people to other people. So how has that journey been for you as a it's, motivational it's, speaker? Yeah, it's really been a pretty powerful journey because one of the things that we get the opportunity to do is we get to heal every time we tell our story. And so, of course, the audience is drawing lessons and get, getting information and perhaps healing themselves from hearing us, seeing us standing up. But we're also getting a chance to actually heal every single time. And that's one of the beautiful things about it. Hearing Nelson Mandela's, you know, journey and story and understanding what he said about leaving bitterness and anger in the prison. Because if he took it out with him, it would destroy him. You know, hearing his words where he would say, being bitter is like drinking poison and expecting your enemy to die. Right? Internalizing that and realizing it has, like, it does everything to you. It tears you up, Right? It causes you to walk around with a proverbial ball and chain as you're walking, trying to get around life and going through doors and getting on elevators and all of the stuff that you're trying to do. This ball and chain is holding you back and understanding that you have to forgive, right? Forgiveness in Islam is a really beautiful thing. But when you when you forgive, it it allows you to surgically remove yourself from that thing that happened in the past that's holding you back, that's not allowing you to live as full a life as you can. Beautiful. I think there is a need as well with the work that you're doing for this sacred activism in light, in light of love and mm -hmm. mercy as well. So that is something that we should all try to draw upon. I think the times that we live in uh, with what's going on around in the world, may Allah make it easy for everybody that's 
going through hardship mm. may, should, may, may be turned into ease. Um, but I think noise has become the hallmark of the modern world. Because even, I think Prophet Moses was even saying, asking Allah, please expand you know, my chest because the, the worries of this world have become too pressing for me to continue and to see the persecution of my people. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. That's absolutely true. Moving forward, Dr. Yusuf, you've, you've mentioned that unfortunately it's continuing. There are wrongful incarcerations taking place. Racism is continuing. Last year we just saw with the death of George Floyd. To end on a positive message, what can we possibly do, I guess, as Muslims, given our platform is a Muslim platform, what can we do if we are concerned and we want to contribute and we want to help put an end to this cycle of oppression? What message do you give? So I, I, I get the opportunity to echo um, the greatest work, I would, I would say, which is the Quran, which says, let there arise out of you a group enjoining all that is right and forbidding all that is wrong, right? The beautiful thing is that we get the opportunity to be the example. And if we show the best example, then we get an opportunity to tell people this is how we should do it. You know, we have to stand up. We have to be able to say that we have to give ourselves permission to live life courageously. Courage is not the absence of fear. Oftentimes it's, it's, it's acknowledging the fear and still standing and doing what's necessary anyway. Even if that means that you have to speak out against it. But if you can do something about it, then do it. But if the only thing that you can do is speak out against it, then speak out against it. And if you can only hate it in your heart as we've been taught, then at least hate it in your heart. That's one of the most beautiful things that we can give ourselves. The opportunity to have all of our deeds written down positively as opposed to negatively for us. MashaAllah. That's absolutely beautiful. Dr. Yusuf, it's been a pleasure to have you with us here today on the podcast. Absolute pleasure. Our our thoughts are not only with yourself, but also with the remainder of the four, um, Kevin, Antron, Raymond, and and Corey. MashaAllah. We ask Allah to bless them in their lives and give them what is best. Uh, It's been a pleasure. It's been an honor. Your story is one of an inspiration. better not bitter growing from pain growing from oppression and coming out on the other side as a strong powerful man jazakallah khairan dr yusuf oh gazana wa yakum and thank you for for that assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh thank you very much